0: Ephesians five, just in a few moments. Yeah, and and eight. Alright, Galatians chapter 5. If you were in our last, well, two classes, but especially our class on Sunday, you should know where we are chronologically. Uh, Paul has been uh, on all these, on these missionary journeys and establishing these congregations and uh, then going back and organizing these congregations. And so these churches in Galatia have been struggling and he's writing this letter back to them. Uh, because of this struggle. And it's a unique letter from most of what he writes, because ordinarily he would begin by praising them for what is going on good, uh, you know, with the church he's writing to, like even the church at Corinth with all their problems. He starts by praising them for where they are. But he doesn't do that with the church of Galatia. And, and that's actually what Marshall was talking about just a couple of minutes ago. Right in the very beginning of the book, he just jumps right on it and says, I am amazed that you are so soon removed from Uh, the truth to another gospel, which is not another. You know, he says, what does gospel mean? Good news, literally means good news. And so, if you leave the good news for other good news, that would be one thing. But he says, the other is not good news. That's his point, it's not good news. And so he goes about in this book to deal with what had happened in these churches of Galatia that they... uh, that had caused them to turn away. And the primary issue seems to be the fact that some of them had sought to go back and hang on to portions of the old law. Uh, and so in this book what he's doing is he's not only talking about the dangers of doing that. But he's talking about the contrast between the two. Between the old law and the new law. And and therefore they would figure out why they shouldn't be going back. Uh, but as we go through this part tonight... The, the last thing we did in chapter 4, and I know we went through it rather quick because I, I did run out of time Sunday, but uh, he used the example of Abraham. He went back to Abraham uh, and uh, he started talking about the descendants, you know, and the bondservant and the son, Isaac and, and uh, 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 Hagar's son. Yeah, Ishmael. See, I can have an empty brain too. Uh, Isaac and Ishmael. And one was born to Hagar, one was born to... Sarah. Okay, so the one was the child of promise. And so what he's saying to them is, look, Israel itself is evidenced or pictured by Ishmael. Even though they're not his descendants, they were pictured by that. And the reason was because they were under the law. But spiritual Israel is the promised Abraham through Isaac and Jacob and on down. Not physical Israel, spiritual Israel. Israel. And that comes through this new law. So he says you've got to cast out this old law. Now he gets into chapter 5 and he continues that same thought. I don't like the the end of... I don't like this chapter break here. So let's start in verse 30 of chapter 4 and then keep going. Galatians 4 starting in verse 30. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we're not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Stand fast, therefore... That's a connecting word, right? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So this is the whole point of this book coming out right here in this statement. He's just talked about you've got to cast out this restrictive law that you really never even lived correctly under, and, and you have to stay where you are. Stand strong, stand secure in the liberty where you are. Now, is, does that mean that there's no law? No, it means that what sets us free? You should know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. From what? Sin? Guilt? Death? So why then would they go back to all of those things? So he says, you've got to stay here, you've got to stand fast, you're under, a, you're under this law of faith... And you got to stand fast under that instead of going back to this law that just identified sin and left you in bondage. The law never made man right with God. Keep going. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, that's that's his reference back to the old law, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Why? Because everything from that old law was pointing to a Messiah coming. And Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, right? I've told you that the name, his name is Jesus, not his name is Christ. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. That's what that means. So if Jesus isn't the Messiah, then that law is not fulfilled, right? So if it's fulfilled, it's taken out of the way, right? So then if they go back to the old law, in essence, what the conclusion of that is, the Messiah didn't fulfill it and take it out of the way. So they have no Christ. And if they have no Christ, what do they have? No hope. Okay. Verse 3. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Again, this is what Marshall was talking about just a a minute ago. But listen, listen to what he says here. If you want to go back and be a part of that law, there's only one hope for you. And that one hope is you've got to do it all perfect. All perfect. Well, who, who did that? He's the only one. That nation that they were from that took so much pride in who they were and their genealogies and how they thought that made them better and different and different in a better way than everybody else, they never lived that law. They never did. In fact, as they continued on, they just kept getting further and further and further away from it until they ended up in captivity. And even as they came back, they never again... By the time of Jesus, are they anywhere close? I mean, it's just it's just crazy to think that, that they think, well, I just... Although we do the same thing today, I'll just pick and choose what parts of it I like, and then, you know, the rest of it, so what. And he's saying, if you go out and pick any of it, you've got to pick all of it. And then he says... If you do that, you have fallen from grace. We like to talk about grace. What's it mean? Unmerited favor, that's a good one. I like to use the acrostic, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid for our salvation, that's grace. But you give all that up when you go back. You give it up. You go back before the Messiah, or try to keep that law when it's no longer God's law. You give up God's grace. Now I want to highlight again what Marshall said just a few moments ago in the in the invitation. You know, it, it's. I don't like to just pick verses and, you know, from random places to use for one uh, point. I like to stay in a context, so I want to keep this in its context. But I think its context is really very clear. If they go back to the old law, they have fallen from grace, right? These people have done it. Okay, if they have done it, then what that means is it's possible, right? I drove here tonight. That means it's possible to drive here, doesn't it? If it's impossible, I couldn't have done it, right? Okay, if it's impossible for somebody to fall from grace, they couldn't have done it. He says they already have. Not that it's possible that they did it. They didn't have God's grace anymore. All right, keep going. Verse 5. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So it basically says, you know, the, the point of the law, or, or at least with circumcision with the law, was to actually distinguish them from others, Right? God was protecting a seed line, and so he used circumstance, uh, circumcision to distinguish Jews from everybody else, which is Gentiles, right? But he says, under this law, that was the old law. Under the new law, there's no distinction. There is a distinction between Christians and the world, but there's no distinction between Jew or Gentile. He's even said that earlier, didn't he? In Galatians chapter 3, when he talked about those who were baptized into Christ... He says you're not bond or free or slave or rich or poor or Jew or Gentile or whatever, right? Verse 7. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Stop there. Okay, they started in a good place. See, that's the issue. Uh, too many times, you know, we, we study the gospel, uh, we obey the gospel, and we're like on fire, right? Because for the first time, you experience freedom. You experience to get rid of the weight of your guilt of sin, and for the first time, you know, we really, truly know, not based on just what you felt, but what you knew God said, that when you went to bed, you were in a saved condition, Right? that's exciting is that the end not unless you die that night that's the beginning isn't it and that's why it's so significant that God uses the analogy of a birth right he calls it a new birth in fact that's what Jesus was talking about with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 a new birth because when a child comes into this world that's not the end is it that's the day one of the growth right And they have to eat and be nourished and continue to grow. And that's what he's saying to these people. You started well with the birth. The problem is you didn't keep growing. And in the meantime, somebody came in and taught you something that wasn't true. And you followed it. Again, back to what Marshall was just talking about. If you don't know the truth, you can be deceived by error. Oh, wait. The little leaven leavens a whole lump. A little leaven. I mean, you've heard it in its simplicity, stated this way. Something like, you know, we just had Thanksgiving, right? Anybody have a pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving? Yeah? yeah? I like a pumpkin pie. What if you put, I don't know, there's 100% of the ingredients in pumpkin pie. What if 99% of them were uh, good ingredients and 1% was, I don't know, bleach, rat poison, something like that? you going to eat it? Amen. Are you going to say, you know what? I could eat 99% of this and be all right, as long as I don't eat that 1% that's got the bleach in it. Doesn't work, does it? Because the whole thing's contaminated, right? Well, that's the way this is. Okay, I've got a little bit of the truth. I've, I know how to obey the gospel, but, so i got a little bit of truth, but the rest of it's off. And that gets right back to what he said in chapter 1, which was, no, you don't have another good news. You have another news. And it's not good. It's not the same thing. If it's added to it or if it's taken away from it, it's not the same. Just a little bit. Ten. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you'll have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. I get the idea here that hes they didn't want to go off away from God. They just did it. You know, I i, I love the, in Luke chapter 15, you know, he has the three parables uh, about the lost. And one of them is the parable of the lost sheep, right? There are 99 safe sheep over here and then one who has wandered away. And the master goes and finds the one, Right? Okay, and the idea with that analogy is that, you know, it's not that this has been a rebellious sheep. It's not that he just got up and said, you know what, I'm not staying with this master anymore and ran away. He just is eating and minding his own business and doing his own thing and not paying attention. And all of a sudden he looked up and he's off somewhere and doesn't have any idea how to get back. So the master went and got him, brought him back. What Paul's saying to these people here at this point is... uh, I don't think you wanted to go away. I've got confidence in your heart. I've got confidence in you. See your sincerity. But you went away. And whoever it was that led you away, he doesn't even know who, who's done this. Whoever it was that led you away, I wish he'd just take himself away. I've said that before today. With what's going on in the religious world today and especially what's going on in the church, uh, I'd rather they just go ahead. If they don't want to be with the truth, just go ahead and change. You know, don't try to be a little bit of both. Just go ahead and become something else. Yep. Yep. So he says, you know, here's the point. If Paul taught, and this is what he says there, if he taught that circumcision was still binding, do you think he'd have had so much trouble everywhere he went? He wouldn't have, would he? Because the people that opposed him were the Jews, so if he'd have taught the law still binding, they wouldn't have opposed him, would they? Okay. Verse thirteen. For you brethren have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by another. This is where I think the chapter break should have been. Uh, this is where he kind of starts to change the subject. And he says, okay, look, I just told you stand fast in the liberty where you are. Now I'm saying don't take that liberty too far. Don't take that liberty as, you know, I don't want to scare anybody, but uh, you send a kid off to college. All of their life, you've been telling them you're going to get up at whatever time, 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, whatever time, and you're going to get your shower, and you're going to get dressed, and we're going to go and leave for worship services at this time. And we're going to go every time, right? That becomes a pattern for them. You send them off to college where nobody's telling them get up at 8 o'clock and get ready. Do You think any of them ever miss? Because for the first time, I can decide for myself, Right? Okay, now what he's saying here about this liberty is if, if they've been under this law that has been so restrictive and so many things that they had to carry out and now all of a sudden they don't have that burden on them any longer, well, it's kind of easy to say, well, yeah, I'll just keep going. And they're on their own and they just go and do whatever they want to do. And he says that's, that's not the answer. <laughs> pulling it backwards is wrong, but running away with it is just as wrong. Either way. 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If they know what God is telling them to do, that's what they need to do. All of us, all of us need to be in that place where we know what God wants us to be. We become it. But if we know that miraculously they're being told what to do, right? Didn't, he, didn't Paul and others of the apostles lay hands on people and they got miraculous knowledge by the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so if that's teaching from the Holy Spirit, from God, that's different than the law, then they should recognize they're not under the law anymore, right? And so they need to, they need to, they need to rein themselves in and get back where they're supposed to be. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are... Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. That's the most important part of that list. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice Such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Stand fast in the liberty, but don't take the liberty to go and live however you want to live. This is what it means to follow along with the flesh. These are all these things that come up as desires that we don't control. See, that's the issue. The devil's greatest tool is not to show up at Eve or at us and say, Look, just forget about God. Just forget about him. You don't care about him. That's not the way he shows up. He shows up and says, you know, God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to have any fun. He doesn't want you to enjoy yourself. And so what he does is he takes blessings that God gives us and he puts us in a position where we're tempted to abuse those blessings and we sin. Gluttony is the perfect example. This is it a sin to eat. But if you're controlled by it, it becomes gluttony. So God gave us a good thing. That's the way we are nourished. I mean, he could have done it just like he did the trees, right? We could just draw in the sunshine and be nourished. I like eating. I'm glad he did it the way he did it. But if we're controlled by that, the devil's tempted us and we take it too far and we abuse it. And that's what all this list is. This list is about it's, this list is about being controlled by our desires of the flesh. Now, I'm not going to go through each individual one because I've got to get through chapter 6 too. But you understand what the list is, right? And the important part of it, or the part that I said is the most important part, and such like. If you got the idea that everything that God says, or everything that's right or wrong is just cut and dried in there, well, you missed it. God could not list every possible thing for everybody. The Bible would just be too big. So what he does is he listed categories and says, Now you'd be smart enough to make the application from the text. Okay. But the fruit of the Spirit. Is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know something? You know what's the main difference between those two uh, lists? I mean, obviously, you, if you take individual pieces, you get a lot of differences. But I, I think there's one main difference in those two lists. One is about yourself, one is about others. Yeah. The first one's about my desires, what I want, what I need, and I'm just going to go take care of me. The second one is about not me, but the people around me. And so what he's saying here is, when God's word guides you to be somebody... What he guides you to be is a servant. Okay, chapter 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted so. This is about this family unit that we're supposed to be helping each other, and the reason this is significant to write to them is because I don't think that everybody in the church has gone off into this error. some people have, and evidently nobody corrected it so he says you 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 need to recognize as a family you have a responsibility to each other. If one of your brethren has been overtaken in a fault, then you who are spiritual, and by the way, that doesn't mean you know uh what we think is mature." We think if somebody goes off, I can't talk to them because I'm not mature enough to talk to them. That's not his point. His point is guided by the Spirit. Those who have the truth need to use it. So he says, when you've got your brother who has left the truth and gone into this error, then those who have the truth need to go get them. And there's a couple reasons for that. One of them is you, you want to save your brother, right? But the second reason is you've got to consider yourself. Is anybody here think they're beyond being tempted? Anybody here think they're beyond sinning? No. And I'll tell you what happens. You did a good invitation for tonight's lesson, tonight's text. Uh, what happens is, well, you suggest some things that I know is not right, but I haven't spent a whole lot of time studying it, so I don't challenge it. And over time, I become softer and softer and I don't even know eventually what the truth is. So I join you. Okay? If those people overtaken by this law, if they follow this circumcision binding which was going on in the church in Galatia and the people that know miraculously the truth don't challenge, challenge it and change it, eventually they're going to lose the ability to even know the truth. And they're going to all go away. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work, and then he'll have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load or burden. Now you've heard me, you've heard me preach and teach on this before. Uh, but just in case you haven't, or just in case you forgot, I want to make sure and emphasize here The King James Version uses burden in both cases. The New King James uses load the second time. That's because they're not the same word. Uh, In the original language, the first bear one another's burden. That burden means overload. And the second one says everybody carries their own load or their own burden. That means like a backpack. And so the difference in the two is, and basically this is what he's saying. Every single one of us has a responsibility to stand before God for ourselves okay? You're not going to stand before God and answer for me, and I'm not going to stand before God and answer for you. I'm going to answer for the life that I have chosen to live. But in connection to that, my life that I'm supposed to be living is connected to you. So there is a point where none of us are able to carry everything. There's an overload. You know, I I preached a sermon about God will never give us more than we can handle, how that was fake news. Every single one of us knows that there are times we're handling more than we can handle, right? We've got more on our plate than we can handle. And what we need when that happens is brethren who will help us. And especially as it relates to truth. So he says, look, everybody's got a responsibility to carry their own weight. But everybody's got a responsibility to help each other along the way too. You've heard the old saying about many hands making light work. That's the point, you know. I often use the illustration of a pickup truck. A pickup is, is built to carry a certain amount of weight. And over the life of that truck, it could carry, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds, right? But put it all on there at once. How's it going to work? It's just going to crush it, right? What if you had several of them, though? you could carry a lot more at once, couldn't you? And that's his point. You've got to be a family. You wouldn't be in this mess you're in if you were concerned with each other and concerned for yourself. All right, keep going. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that he will also reap. I read those two verses together because I think that second verse is one that we like to just jerk out of its context and make application from it. And I do want to make application, but then I want to put it in its context. The application is, if you go out here in the world and you sow sin, you're going to reap the consequences of sin, right? You can't go out here and live in sin and expect that you're going to get away with it all the time. Sometimes you will, but there's always going to be consequences, and when those consequences come, we find ourselves kind of like Cain, where all of a sudden i got all these consequences, and now I'm sorry, right? Because as long as I wasn't getting caught with it, then I'm not so sorry about it because I'm getting away with it. But once I got caught and everything's all messed up now, and there's consequences, and now I'm sorry about it. Okay, so, he's, so there is an application of the principle, whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. But that's not the context that he just started with. The context he started with is, this is a hard one to teach, For preachers, because it makes it sound like, you know, we have expectations that I'm telling you what to do, and I'm not. Uh, But here's what he said. He said, "The people that teach you need to be supported, and with the way that you support them, expect to get back what you gave." In other words, if you if you buy generic at the at Walmart or the grocery store. It's not really exactly the same thing, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Just not the same thing. So if what we do is, if we cut corners out here at the grocery store, that's no big deal. I'll order, what's Walmart? Equate. I'll order Equate stuff. If I go in Walmart, it saves me a dollar. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have to have the best all the time. <laughs> but when it comes to a spiritual life, got to be better than that you get what you pay for so what he's saying is you got to invest in your spiritual life in order to get back what you need he's going to keep going verse eight four there's your connecting word he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life if you spend all of your focus here here's what amazes me uh when i have people that that get really messed up in life Uh, and i've told you about friends or family members over the years that have gone off into the world and and i've talked to them when they get in trouble and i'll talk to them they'll say things like i don't know how i got here well how you got there is you invested too much in something in what you wasn't supposed to be invested you spent so much time on your career or your education or your money or your house or or whatever else and not enough on your spiritual. And as a consequence of that, you're going to reap what you sow. I'm, I'm going to confess something to you. I've been struggling. I've been struggling because I'm actually seeing a counselor. I'll tell you that. I'm actually seeing a counselor to help me learn how to deal with stress again because I haven't been dealing with it. You know what she told me? She told me, my, my life is like a sheet of paper. You know, those manila or yellow pieces of paper, and they have, they have lines up and down them. She says, you're spending all your time writing over here in the margins, and there's nothing left in the middle. That's this point, isn't it? You spend all your time dealing with everything on the outside, and you don't deal with anything spiritual. You know what happens? You find yourself empty. So he says, you've got to spend your time investing in your spiritual life. If you do that, you grow. All right, keep going. Verse, oh, 10. No, 9, yeah. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. He's still carrying on the same thought. He's saying you've got to spend your focus on spiritual things and it has to do with relating to other people, the way that you act, the way that you think, the way that you are. If you invest in yourself, you have something to give, don't you? If you, if you leave yourself empty, what do you have left to offer anybody? Nothing. you got an empty cup? You're not sharing it with anybody, are you? But if your cup's overflowing, you can share it. Verse 11. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Now, a lot of people, this is one of those verses that, you know, when Paul talks about in the book of Second Corinthians, his thorn in the flesh, right? Uh, there are people who uh, use this verse to say what that meant is he had bad eyesight, and that came about because of the bright, bright light that he saw when he met with Jesus. Look, I don't know if that's true or not. All I know is that Paul couldn't see real good. You know what? I'm getting older and I can't see like I used to either. It just happens sometimes, right? So I don't know why you can't see very well. Here's the truth. I don't think it matters. I think what does matter is they knew Paul well enough to know that as he wrote this letter, they knew it was his writing. (laughs) They knew the way he wrote because he couldn't see very well, that he had written in a big enough way that, that they knew this came from him. This is not an imposter, right? Okay? Verse 12. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Now we have a motive. This whole time we've been hearing about what happened, and what's going on, and and the conflict, and the contrast, and all that. Now we see why. And the problem was, well, somebody obeys the gospel, and then they go back home and tell their family, and their family says, What? You're not leaving. You've been this your whole life. It's what you're going to die. Maybe they throw them out. You ever seen that happen? You ever seen somebody obey the gospel and their family disowned them when it happened? These people obeyed the gospel, especially the Jewish Christians, and what they're in essence saying, at least what everybody else is saying, seeing in them is, your law is not good enough anymore. What they're saying is, this is the fulfillment of all that law. But your law is not good enough anymore is what everybody else sees. So they persecute. So these people started thinking, you know what, it would be a little bit easier if I would just hang on to a little bit of it. And they always kept circumcision because that made these Gentiles like them. And it was also only restricted to them, to the Gentiles. So they had to become Jews. They had to, they had to say that being a Gentile is not good enough. And so those people who are worried about what, it, what they look like and what they, you know, the, the fleshly things, the temptation of being important, the egos, well, of course they're going to buy in circumcision. But the reason they did it is because they were tired of being persecuted. That doesn't ever tempt us today, right? You're not ever around a crowd that you know... If you act right or say something right, you know you're going to suffer the consequences. I'll give you an example. Say you're around at work and something's said that's inappropriate, whether it's a joke that shouldn't have been said, a racist comment, something like that, and you laugh. Why? Not because you think that, not because you agree, because you're afraid to disagree, right? That's what he's saying here. These people were afraid to be different because they were being persecuted, so they held on to some of it. Keep going. Uh, for, For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. I love that because that passage is significantly applicable even to today's. You know, the Jewish religion is very much alive and well today but not the old law. Not only is it has it been removed, but nobody's even tr- trying to keep it. Nobody's trying to keep it. Actually, what's happening today is most people who are practicing Judaism today are practicing this tradition that has been added so much over the years uh, so many traditions that were added by different rabbis here and there and and the different uh, sects of the group the herodians and the pharisees and the sadducees and all of them and and what that does is that adds baggage to everything nobody you know what you have to do you have to make a you have to make a, a pilgrimage how often no i'm asking today they they want to make it once in their life That's what's taught. They want to make it once in their life. All right, And I don't want you to think that I'm picking on the Jews. Okay, I'm not. The point he's making here is, even pretending to do something, you're not doing it. I would would make it applicable to Christians. Showing up in this church building doesn't make you a Christian. Studying the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Quoting verses doesn't make you a Christian. Taking God's Word and putting it inside and living it that's what makes you a christian why because the word christian means christ like it makes sense doesn't it let's finish up but god forbid that i should glory except in the cross of our lord jesus christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and i to the world for in christ jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation he says look the only reason he is who he is, the only reason he acts the way that he acts, the only reason he treats the people around him the way he does is because of Jesus, right? That wasn't who he was before, was it? I mean, before he was an angry, hateful, uh, difficult person, wasn't he? Pretty drastic change. There may not be anybody recorded in the Bible that has as significant of a change as, as Saul to Paul. Paul. And as many as walk according to this rule, that word literally means pattern, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. That's spiritual Israel, isn't it? From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So he says, look, you know, the reason, if their motive for for binding circumcision, for going back to the old law was so that they would, not get persecuted anymore. What they're looking for is peace, isn't it? I mean, they're looking for some kind of safety and peace. And what he says is, if you follow the truth, you get what you're looking for. Now, not always here, but you get it. So then he says, don't trouble me. He's troubled by what has happened. He said, don't trouble me anymore because I have the marks of our Lord in me. The point is, he's not, you know, sometimes people will say something. You ever heard anybody say... Uh, don't do as, I, do as I say, don't do as I do. Yeah. Yeah, what he's saying to them is, you people that are going to be tempted to say, well, Paul's not so bold when he's out there with him. He says, you come look at me. I've got the marks from the stones that hit me or the beatings on my back or whatever else that happened on his journeys that, that left scars on him. He had the scars, didn't he? So he dealt with the consequences of preaching the truth. He wasn't telling them anything that he didn't know how to do. He was living it. So then he says, be right with God and you'll have the peace that God offers. Okay, let's close with a prayer. Father, we're thankful to be here tonight to study your word. We're thankful for uh, the the application to our lives and we pray that we will be strong, that we will be courageous, uh, that we will develop our faith in such a way that we learn to depend upon you, not ourselves. Help us always, Father, to... Uh, to grow every day that we can be the people and the light that you want us to be. Forgive us where we fail you in Christ's name. Amen.